Welcome to Iro Live with host Bob Bay. What we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to continue on. You know the story of when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, you know, and they parted the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness. That was a horrible time wandering in the wilderness. And we talked about the paralleling wandering in the wilderness is to the journey that we're all on. All of us have to make a trip through the wilderness. All of us. But we talked about also about the thing about how that trip was actually only 11 days long. It was only 11 days once they got out of Egypt from the mountain of God over to the Jordan River. But they were too afraid to cross the river. They were too afraid to go on. And I get it. I totally get it. But so they had to go back out in the wilderness for another 40 years and just go through it. But you know what? God was still with them in the wilderness. He gave them food to eat, took care of, made sure their clothes didn't wear out. He took care of them. He protected them. And that's the same way for us. God will protect us as much as he can in our wilderness journey. Now we're at the point where we have come back to the Jordan River. It's our time again. And he's saying, do you want to go? And the Jordan River represents that crossing into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. Where, that, where God meets our needs. Where God takes care of us. You know, and some of the things that they talk about. The clusters of grapes were so big that it took two people to carry them. They put a staff, a rod between two people. And the clusters of grapes were so heavy it took two people to carry them. That gives a representation of what it was like there. That's where we find ourselves now. It's time to go in. I'm going to just kind of quick tell part of the story, but then I'm going to read part of it in the Bible because it would take a long time for me to read all of it. But so they get up to the Jordan River and they actually send spies into the uh, land of Canaan, the promised land. They send spies over to Jericho to scope it out and see what they're up against. But this is what strikes me funny is they sent spies over there. But we know later on, we read the story about Jericho falling. They didn't need to send spies over there. They didn't need to spy it out because God was going to take care of it. But they did it and they did it for a reason. So we find out that they went over there and they met a lady named Rahab. She was actually a prostitute in the city of Jericho, and she lived on the wall. They went to her, and she said, hey, everybody here is just freaking out because they know what God's been doing for you guys, parting the Red Sea, parting the Jordan, taking care of this, fighting your battles for you, providing all your food. They know, and everybody's freaking out. And so the king found out that these spies had come, and so he sent somebody over to Rahab's house to say, hey, there's spies around here. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about because she hid them up on the roof underneath bundles of flax. And so she hid them up there. And the reason why she hid them up there is she said, listen, I will hide you and take care of you if when you guys come and you destroy the city of Jericho, if you protect me and all my father's family. It's like me, my brothers, my sisters, everybody. If you take care of all of us, and everything, I'll hide you and take care of it. And so they said, hey, that sounds like a good deal. We'll do it. And so she said, when you guys leave, go up to the mountains and go that way because or else they're going to find you. And so 
they gave her a red ribbon and they said, listen, when we come back and we attack, you hang this red ribbon outside your window and you and everyone who's in your household will be spared. Okay, but if you ain't in here and if you don't put this red ribbon on your window, then you won't be spared. And so that's the story of Rahab, the prostitute. Okay, but now you can see the parallels. Remember, we talked about the Passover in Egypt when they painted the door, the blood over the doorpost. And so the angel of death passed them over. And we talk about the, how the symbolism between that and Christ. And also the whole thing about the blood that Jesus shed for us to wash away our sins and make us clean. So it's all, all throughout the Bible, there's this theme, this picture of God saying to us, I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to be able to be good enough, but I've got this. I've got a plan. He does that. God parts the uh, Jordan River. They go across. They get on the other side of the Jordan River. We talked last week, mentioned that they have to reinitiate the covenant. God said, hey, listen, back with Moses and them and said, listen, if you follow me and follow my ways, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of everything you need. I got you. You will prosper and I'll protect you. I'll drive out the enemies before you. And so as a sign of that covenant, they were circumcised. And so then this 40 years goes by, all those people died off because they didn't want to have any part of that. And so then they reestablished the covenant. And we talked about how now that's, it's a circumcision of the heart. We surrender our heart to God and that as a sign of that covenant. And so he says, listen, you surrender to me. That's your part. That's all you got to do. You don't have to be this great Bible thumper. You don't have to be this missionary overseas. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just surrendered me. And if you'll do that, I'll take care of you. I'll meet all your needs. If you want to know what those needs are, you can go back to the beginning of last year. We started talking about that. This is another thing that parallels. You know, we talked about the symbolism behind it is that we see another sign of Christophany here. After they reestablish the covenant, there's this guy that shows up pretty ominous in front of Joshua. And Joshua goes, hey... Are you with us or are you with them? Because he's kind of freaked out, okay? This figure, this man says, I am the captain of the army of the Lord. And then he says, take off your shoes where you're standing is holy ground. Just like with Moses at the burning bush. Remember Moses and God told Moses to take off his shoes, the burden. So that, that, again, that's another Christophany, what we talk. The pre-incarnate Christ, the Godhead, appears then to Joshua. Is this going too much in depth? We've been talking about this pattern. It keeps happening. We keep seeing this over and over again. God saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do all, all you have to do is just... All you have to do is just follow me. That's all you have to do. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you everything you need to follow me. And over and over again, the people then, and actually, you know what, guys, the people now are like, yeah, that all sounds great. I want all the good stuff, but you know what? I really kind of want to do my own thing. So, so in the fifth chapter of the book of Joshua, God tells Joshua, this is what you're going to do, all right? For six days... 
you, the people, all the people, and seven priests are going to take seven horns, and for six days you're going to march around the city of Jericho one time. You're going to do that for six days. Then, on the seventh day, you're going to sound the trumpet. Everybody's going to shout, Ah! And I will deliver Jericho to you. So, that's what happened. You know, they marched around. Seventh day, they marched around seven times. And on the seventh time around, ah! They sound the trumpet. Just like, you feel like you're there, right? Ah! The walls crumbled and they take Jericho. That is the battle of Jericho. When you were a kid, maybe you heard, Josh fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Josh fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. That's the story of it. What do we get from that? What's, what's the point in all of that? We keep talking about the symbolism and we see all of these things. If you do research and you look into it, Jericho was actually a city. The name Jericho, the name of that city, it's a place of fragrance, or it's translated his sweet breath or his life, his animation, his soul, his mind, his spirit, his moon renewing. What does that mean? He's not, they're not talking about God in there. That his, it was his city. What that was is there was a, a God of the moon I can't remember what his name is, but that's, and that's not important. I, I don't think I would repeat it if I did. But so this was city, the God of the city. You know, every city, every area, every group of people had gods that they worshipped. The sun god, moon god, all these different things. And so this particular city, they worshipped this god of the moon. But what that also represents when it's talking about his, that represents the evil one. It is like the counterpart to God. God is, Jesus is the sun, right? Jesus is light. And the moon is a fake. The moon is actually a reflection of the sun. It's not really the sun. It doesn't really give off light. It just looks like it. And so that's kind of the symbolism behind what's happening here. The other part of that is, is these walls represent in this story, and I'm not making this up, guys. This is theologians throughout time talk about this. The Jewish people for thousands of years have talked about this. But I'm going to put it into a today context and say that these walls represent the walls that we have built in our lives, either on purpose to protect ourselves, keep people out, or the walls that the enemy has built around us to keep us isolated into ourselves and away from God and the plans and purposes that God has for us. Those walls, in my testimony that I talk about, because of some things that had happened, I'm not going to tell you what they were. You have to hear my testimony one day. Because of some things that I had done and choices I had made in my life, I had built a wall between Pam and I. These actions built this wall. I didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't plan for it to happen. I didn't think something like that would happen. I didn't understand, but this wall was built. And so when I would try and reach out to her, there would be that connection was not there. And that happens in our lives with relationships. Sometimes we feel so alone. You guys, when I was at the height of my meth addiction, I would be surrounded by people, but I felt alone. 
I never felt like I could make contact with people. And actually, there have been studies done about addiction. The root, at the root of addiction, or substance abuse, even codependency, the addiction of people, is an inability to make meaningful contact, connection with people. There's an inability to make that connection. So that's why you feel alone when you're surrounded by people in a room full of people. You feel alone. The root of addiction is an inability to make meaningful connections with people. And you can actually find that research. Rat City, if you Google, go to YouTube and Google Rat City. They actually did studies over a period of years. Rat City, R-A-T City. They did study over a period of years and they found out when they put, you know, because rats have chemical makeup similar to humans. Why that is, I don't, you know. But they realized that if they got rats addicted to drugs, if they kept them alone, if they could push a button and get this water, they could push this button and it would drop this drug-laced water in and they would take they would take it, they got addicted to it. If they were by themselves, they would continue pushing that until they died. They would OD and die. But if they put them into a community of other rats where they were able to do it and they put regular water or the drug-laced water, the rats eventually would stop doing the drugs and start just doing regular water. And there are different studies that go with it. The root of addiction and so many other things is an inability to make connection. So I'll say this. I struggled with PTSD when I was young because of things that happened when I was in the Army that caused me to put up walls and made it very difficult for me to associate with people because of the triggers I had in my life. My addiction happened, and because of that, all the things that come along with addiction, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, all of that stuff caused me to put up walls, or actually it built walls, and so that I was always hiding and pretending to be somebody I wasn't, so I wouldn't get caught. And this went on and on, and all these walls got built up, and so I was unable to make connections. So this story represents God tearing those walls down. But this is the critical part of this. The children of Israel didn't have to do any work, but they had to walk it out. They had to just walk it out. They had to be obedient and walk it out. So when God said, walk around the the walls one time for six days, they had to follow the instructions and do that. And then on the seventh day, they walked seven times and the walls fell. And God does that same kind of thing in our lives. He does things and he orchestrates things in our lives. And if we will just follow that, he'll do it. He'll take those walls down. You know what? It doesn't happen in six days, guys. I wish it did. Maybe he'll do it in six days for you. He did not do it in six days for me. I was pretty hard-headed, though. This is the second part we have to learn in the story. Remember Rahab, the, the prostitute we talked about? This is the crazy thing. So God sent these spies in there. They found Rahab. They tied the red ribbon to the window to save her family. Guess who Rahab was? She was the great, great, great grandmother to King David. Who was the great, 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 I don't know how many greats was, to Jesus. Out of the lineage of Rahab the prostitute came 
Jesus. Is that crazy? But this is what it tells us. It tells us the things that have happened in our lives. He will take that and use it later on to bring freedom for us. The reason why I'm talking to you guys today was because I was a drug addict and an alcoholic who couldn't function in life, couldn't keep a job, couldn't keep a relationship, and now I am a normal, well, I wouldn't say normal person. I have a job, I have a home, I have a family, my children have grown up and are married and have kids of their own, and they will never understand what it means to struggle with addiction. Is that because of me? No. It's because God tore down those walls and took care of it and worked through it. And God will use the things out of our past to help us walk in his will, to equip us. And the third thing is, is what God had done was God told them, listen, when you go in here, I'm going to destroy this city and I'm going to destroy all these people here. But you cannot take anything from that city with you, like the gold, the silver, the cows, all the spoils of war, all of that stuff that normally the conquering people would get to keep and they would keep the people as slaves. God said, no, you are to destroy everything. Destroy everything, take nothing with you. What that represents in our lives is we cannot take the stuff from this life with us. I talk about in my book and in my testimony, when I first got clean, I realized I had no idea how to be a good dad, how to be a good husband, how to be a good friend, how to be anything. I didn't know how to walk, talk, and act in a way other than the selfish way that I'd become so selfish and self-centered because of who I had become. I pretended to be somebody I wasn't all the time in order to manipulate and get what I wanted out of things. I would be one type of person if I met you and I thought I could get something out of you, I would be who I thought you wanted me to be. I would be another way. I knew what made Pam tick. I knew if I did certain things and I said things in a certain way, I could make Pam do things the way I wanted her to do it. I knew how to pretend and be somebody at work so that even at the height of my addiction, I was still getting promoted. And I was screwing all kinds of stuff up. I was messing up stuff, but I knew how to make it look like I was doing the right thing. I knew how to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. But I realized in that, or I should say, God talked to me about the thing of, you can't take that with you. Those are all tools and things that you learned how to cope on your own, how to meet your own needs, or how to numb the pain of having unmet needs. That's all stuff, coping skills that you learned to cope in this life. But you've got to let all of those things go. And you've got to let me teach you how to become a different person. I had to be reparented. I don't know about you guys. My parents loved me and they did the best they could. But they came from dysfunctional households too. And so... They didn't teach me how to handle my feelings and my emotions. They didn't teach me how to handle things right. We can't take the stuff from our old lives into our new lives and expect that things will be different. You guys know, you've heard, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That was the story of my life. I tried to be who I was then 
I'm just going to use the right words for it. I was a conniving, scheming, manipulative person, but everybody thought I was nice until I used them up and went on my way. And then they would see me for who I was. And that's where we find ourselves now. This first battle in the promised land is the battle to understand God's going to tear down the walls in our lives, but we have to be willing to take the steps to let him do that. We have to understand that there are going to be things from our past that God is going to use to help us grow in the future, but we cannot take who we were with us. We have to be reparented by God to become different people. That's part of walking. We were on this journey into the kingdom, and that's where we find ourselves. And guys, this is not overnight process. This happens in time, and it happens in choices, and it happens by building a relationship with God, which I won't even try and tell you what it means to have a relationship with God, because I can't. I can't describe it to you. There's some people that may say going to church means you have a relationship with God. That has nothing to do with it. Reading the Bible really has nothing. I mean, that's part of it, but that's really not the core of it. It's not the essence of it. Being a good person, anybody can be a good person. Anybody can. That's not at the core of it. Anybody can make good choices. If you make good choices and you have good behavior, it's going to produce certain things. But it won't make that change in who you are on the inside. Only thing you can do is just surrender to God and then begin walking and be sensitive to God for him making those changes. He will do things in our lives to change us as long as we keep taking those steps. When I first started, imagine when I go to work, when I leave my home, I normally work north, going north on 270. So I always make a left out of, off my street onto the main street to go up to get onto the highway. I always make a left. But sometimes I want to go somewhere else. Sometimes I want to go to a restaurant down the road or whatever. And if I'm talking to Pam and not paying attention, just because of habit, because I always make a left out of my, off my street, I always make a left. And so sometimes I'll make that left, and it'll be like, I'll get down a block, and it'll be like, I wanted to go the other way. And so I have to turn around and go back the other way. And that's the way it is with God. God will be walking with us. We'll be walking, and God will say, hey, up here at this next intersection, make a right. Yeah, but I always make a left. That's what I always do. I always make a left when I come here. No, this time you need to make a right because the bridge is out if you make a left. You're going to have trouble if you make a left. You're going to run into that old person who's in your life and they're going to offer you some dope and you're going to relapse if you go to the left. You need to go to the right. Yeah, but I always go to the left. You know, we do that, don't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I don't want to relapse. I don't want to relapse. But we make those choices and we end up making that left-hand turn again and we end up back at the dope man house. How did I end up here? <laughs> because we make those choices without even thinking about it. That's how we end up there. But it's, it's, it's complicated, but it's simple. It's really hard, but it's really easy. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Well, a yoke is that thing that they hook on oxen or mules to pull a plow or to pull a wagon. You know, that big leather thing that goes around 
then it, it would be wood probably, and they'd hook two oxen together. And you think, that's, I mean, those are beasts of burden. So you think, that's a heavy load. That's a difficult thing. It appears like it would be difficult, but Jesus says, no, it ain't. My yoke is easy. My is light. Thanks for listening. Please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts. To order your copy of My Real Life, go to the Take Action page at our website, reallifeministries-stl.com, or go to Real Life Ministries STL on Facebook.